biblical studies major at Trinity Western University, and I absolutely love it. It is so much fun. It is the dream. And during my second semester of school this past year, um, I took a class called Eastern World Religions. And I wasn't too sure of how this class would actually help with my church context. But as we dove more and more into the course curriculum, I kind of started to understand the value of learning um, people's faith that were different than mine. Um, so the last religion that we studied in that class was Sikhism. And so within the Sikh religion, they have a temple, which is their um, place of worship, their assembly, kind of just like where they go and do their worship and all that sort of takes place. So in their temples, they keep their holy scriptures safe. And their holy scriptures is called the Guru Granth. And basically what happens is it's kind of only kept in the sacred place within the temple. And they treat their holy scriptures as a living person. So they have so many different rituals with it. Um, it's usually awake from like 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. And the members of the Sikh community go in and hear teachings from it. And with those specific rituals, if you were lucky enough to have a Guru grant the Holy Scriptures in your home, uh, you had to have a special room placed aside in your house for it. It's just showing the utmost respect for their Holy Scriptures. So I'm not saying that we are to do this with the Bible or suggesting any type of pluralism. But sometimes when we look to different faiths or religion than ours, it helps remind us of certain truths within our Christian understanding. So we believe that the Bible is God's word and it is so holy and so sacred. And yet here I am throwing my Bible in my tote bag, probably has 16 different fold lines in it. I'm rushing to church. I just made my fancy pour over coffee because I will get a headache if I don't have one. And I'm sitting down in the church, probably exhausted because I don't know how to go bed early. University things, am I right? And that, now all of that, that is respect. That is reverent worship at its finest in the house of the Lord. Uh, so in these days, it's so easy to forget that sacredness of God. We forget to stand in awe before him. We sometimes treat corporate worship as something that is on our to-do list, check, and on to the next thing in our Sunday. And even in some contexts, Jesus is used for marketing. So God is just so accessible, which is a beautiful gift, but it's just so easy to take advantage of that. So Ecclesiastes 5 presents this urge and this call towards our attitude when we come before the king in our worship. It calls us to be reverent and to stand in awe of our creator, to see our humanness. It is a call to loyally and beautifully fear God. So once we understand this attitude and this sacredness of kneeling before the king, everything else that we do will flow out of this heart posture of reverence. So it all comes down to what posture your heart is in when you kneel before God. So let us pray. Dear God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity that I can come and just um, share your word before my community and friends. And yeah, I just pray that you light up um, the certain pieces in this passage for the people that need to hear it today, God, that you're preparing a way and just prepare a way in their hearts, Jesus. And 
yeah, I just pray over this passage as we get into it, just knowing the um, sacredness and holiness of standing in awe before you. In your name we pray, amen. Sweet. So it will be on the screen if you didn't bring your Bibles, but if you have your Bible, you can open it up uh, to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, um, verses 1 to 7. So fear God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. So the first verse, guard your steps when you go, into the, go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. So in this verse, we first see this big picture instruction from the teacher. Again, it is this call and encouragement for us to also approach God in awe as we enter into his sacred space of worship. So it invites us into this image of guarding our steps before we meet with him. What a beautiful invitation. We get to be invited into our house and we're called to guard our steps in that. So a key thing to remember is that back in the Old Testament days, they had to go into the temple to meet God. It was understood that God's presence were to be dwelling in this place. So if they wanted to seek his presence, they must go into the house of God, which is the temple. And with Jesus, all of that changes, uh, which we'll touch on at the end. But despite the temple being a very sacred place where God's presence dwelt, the Israelites often approached God with a very dishonoring heart and attitude before him in worship. They would worship false idols and, make, and worship lowercase g gods, not a lot of great things to be worshiping before our king. So as we continue on with this passage, with the, with the opening scene being set, we kind of get this idea that, yeah, this is important. We are being told to guard our steps. I mean, being in the house of the Lord is not something to be taken lightly. It is something that is ever so holy beyond understanding and extremely sacred. And God invites us into being in that space there with him in his holiness. But he cautions us to guard our steps as we begin to set foot into his presence. So it's kind of like when you go to a friend's house, you're walking up their nice walkway, you see that there's beautiful bushes on the side, maybe some nice flowers over here, and you approach the big, beautiful door, and you're like, okay, 
This is already a pretty fancy house. I kind of know what to expect inside, and I'm going to make sure I don't destroy it. So you're kind of already in that posture of like, okay, I want to express or respect my friend's house. So you knock on the door, they open, and you see they have a beautiful white carpet, and you see that you're still in awe of this beautiful house. So you take off your muddy blundstones, you hang up your jacket, and again, you're there to be respectful to not destroy their beautiful home. As you sit with them, enjoy your friend's company within their house. So it's the exact same thing with God, except with that extra layer of his divine transcendence. So God invites us to spend time with him in his house, in his place of worship, at the feet of him who is seated high on the throne, but warns us to guard our steps when we enter into his presence. So we must guard our steps because it is just the beginning as entering into communion with God in reverence. So the teacher continues on in verse one by instructing us to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know they are doing evil. To draw near to listen. I want you to take notice of this language presented here in verse one. Draw near to listen, to draw near. The image that I get is someone going up to the well to get a quick drink of water. They're getting close enough to the water source to get a refreshing drink that quenches their thirst. They are drawing near to the well. So to draw near to listen is to draw near to God to draw near, to get close enough to experience the fullness of his presence, to listen, to draw near close enough to be still and listen to the voice of God. So how do we present ourselves when we come before God? We make it a top priority to draw near to listen. We then learn to become familiar with his voice in the stillness. So oftentimes I find myself in the pace of life getting so fast. The hurry culture doesn't always encourage these moments of pause, but we must become a people who stay still long enough to be in tune with the spirit of God. Even when it's easy to forget and challenging to draw near to listen when in the presence of God, it is essential for awareness to his spirit in that very moment and in all moments. So when I pause, when I still my soul, and when I draw close enough to sit at his feet, I feel an overwhelming sense of comfort. I know that there's something greater than me and something bigger that is working in all moments of time. For me, that oftentimes happens when I am in the beauty of his creation, just listening to his voice through those sounds. So the author is urging the reader that it is better to listen than to offer sacrifices of the fools. So this refers to people bringing unacceptable sacrifices to God, such as lame, blind, or sick animals. So some of these fools would also believe that just bringing this sacrifice would completely cancel out their sin without any need for the repentance. So this act of listening is an active posture of saying, hey God, I am here for just you, and I'm here to listen, rather than, hey God, I'm coming here, and I want all the fancy things with all the strings attached. You are simply there to just be in the presence of God. 
So when you guard your steps, when you go into the house of the Lord, draw near to listen. It's all about becoming aware of the spirit around you and in you. We become aware of God in our hearts, in the people around us, and in his greater kingdom. All because we drew close enough and paused long enough to listen. So ultimately, God is a God of relationship and he wants to be with us. And with this amazing gift and invitation of intimacy, why do we want to mess that up? Why would we be fools in the presence of God? Why would we go in thinking that we're not even going to listen to him? So one scholar says, without hearing, there can be no understanding of the kingdom of God. Thus, Jesus repeats, he who has ears, let him hear. Matthew eleven fifteen. So with this call and this instruction that the teacher has presented in verse 1, the why behind it follows in the next couple verses. So verse 2, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. So the author is calling out, hey you, yeah you, you, you are human and stop pretending to be God. Only God can do what God can do. So for some people, it is super understandable that this language here that is God is in heaven and you are on earth can kind of feel like, oh, there's distance. But I want to invite you guys to see it in this more beautiful and humbling way. So as I was on a walk earlier to still my heart and my mind as I were to sit down and prepare this sermon, um, I was just going on a walk down below the church. It's very nice. I love to go on my Jesus walks there. Um, but I was walking along the trails, and I oftentimes just like to pause to just, again, draw near to listen and be aware of his presence in that moment. So there's all these trees around, and they're towering over my 5'3 and 5'8 self. They are massive. Um, and though the size of them and the size of me gives me this comfort and this peace and helps me relate to the character of God. So if one were to be at the very top of the tree just over Myrtle Park, they'd be able to see, okay, who is winning the baseball game over there? Who is playing in the water park? Who's walking their dog? But the person just walking on the trail, they can only see what is in front of them, beside them, and behind them. So the same way that those trees down there stand tall and can see everything going on down below is just a glimpse of how God is in heaven and can see us all on earth. So this verse shows us his ultimate authority and puts us back into our humanness and our place within that. We can rest in the promise that he has all things under the sun, under control. He is the one that is seated on the throne. So knowing the weight of God being in heaven and us being on earth, it allows us to then step into that heart posture of complete surrender and awe of who the Lord is. So because of that, we must come to him with our words in a way that expresses that awe of his holiness. And that is why the author is urging us and urging the worshiper to not be quick with their words or act impulsively on them. 
What I do want to make very clear is that what this passage is not saying and what I am not saying is that you can't just spill what you need before God. He wants to hear. He cares deeply for what breaks and moves your heart. So go for it. He's going to listen. But what this passage is getting at, especially considering that we are going through wisdom literature, is the weight and the significance of our words. What matters is your motivation behind your prayers. Are you just there to simply try and impress God and those around you in a beautiful essay long of words? Or is your heart in a place where you are there to truly worship and come before God with a heart of glory towards him? So it's not the word count of your prayers, but the heart behind it. Being there for God and only God in complete reverence. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls out people who are doing just that. So in Matthew 6, 7 to 8, he says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus is calling out the exact thing that the author of Ecclesiastes is warning us not to do. So Jesus is like, hey, you guys, yeah, you guys using all of your fancy words and making it super long, you think that all of this is going to get you any farther in your walk with God? No, that is not how it works. Yeah, because God knows exactly what you need before you ask him. So why just blabber on and tack on some sentences to make yourself look good? The Father already knows what you need. Rest in that. The teacher continues how this is actually played out in in verse 4. So when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. So first, we have been instructed to guard our steps when we enter into the house of the Lord and to draw near to listen. So why? Because God is in heaven and we are on earth. But what are some of the implications of this command? How does it play out? So the author of Ecclesiastes puts it plain and simple with a few different examples in these last few verses here. He warns the reader to be sure to only make a promise towards God if you are 100% sure that you can be faithful in fulfilling that. So when you're coming to God in prayer, what is your heart posture? Are you there to give him all the glory when he answers a prayer request? Or are you there to just... Take it, take it, take it, and not give him any thanks back. So don't just say things to God to make yourself look good. Follow through with it. It's got to come from the heart. So even Jesus took these types of promises and any promises very seriously. So we see in Matthew 5, 33 to 37, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, 
or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So let your yeses be yeses and your noes be no. So when you want to show respect to your friends or family, you usually stick to your word and you don't usually make promises that you can't keep, that you can't follow through with. So why would we do anything less before God? So our heart must be in a place of continued awe of his goodness. That we should always respect him with our words and our promises. So the author concludes his thoughts with this beautiful book and to the text, but God is the one you must fear. So Craig did touch on this last week, but just to reiterate, this type of fear of God is not the, I must run away, this is so scary type of fear, but this fear is standing in complete awe and reverence of God, giving him all of the honor, all of the glory, and expressing all of that to the one that created the universe. So when we then understand this great need and importance to guard our steps and to draw near to listen to God seated on the throne, the outpouring of that will be reverence. And our reverence for God will make our worship truly awesome. All else will be that outflowing of that respect, honor, and glory towards him. And then we can participate in this greater call to be co-heirs with him in building the kingdom. So a few months back, my friend was sharing with me something that he realized when he went on a solo camping trip. So he said that for the first, uh, first little bit when he was talking to himself or just thinking about things in his own way, he felt scared. He felt not calm, not at peace, anxious. But as soon as he shifted his words towards God in prayer and worship, he felt calm. He felt present. He was in awe of what seeking the presence of God wholeheartedly looked like. He changed his heart posture. And I think this is exactly what reverent worship looks like and what then outflows from it. Being in awe of the one who created you and acting upon it. So like I said before, at the time that Ecclesiastes was written, people who were reading this would understand that the house of God literally meant a physical place. So God's presence again dwelt in a temple in the house of the Lord. So it was a pretty big ordeal to go in and seek the presence of God. But that just got a little bit easier and much more intimate and beautiful for us. Jesus came. So after he died on the cross and ascended into heaven, he left all of us with this beautiful and amazing gift of the Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit living inside of us. So Acts 1, 7 to 8 says, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So while Jesus is saying that he is no longer here on earth with us, he has given us this beautiful gift of his spirit and we are now to be his witnesses 
to the ends of the earth. So I want you guys to really rest in this promise that Jesus, our Savior, our King, he has chosen his spirit to dwell in us and chosen us to be his partners throughout the ends of the earth. What a beautiful privilege that we must stand in awe of. So Paul says it perfectly in Ephesians 2, 18 to 22. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So when you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So this is good news. So everything in the Jewish life revolved around this temple. So the temple was that physical place where his presence dwelt. And in this temple, there was a separate part called the holy place or the holy of holies. And this separate part in the temple was believed for all of God's most holiness to dwell in. And it was only to be accessed once a year by the high priest. But when Jesus died, the temple curtain tore into two which is symbolic of how we are given this unrestricted access into the presence of God. How beautiful is that image? The curtains of the temple being broken down to show us that we are let into his presence fully and freely. So in verse 21 of the Ephesians passage, the Greek word used for temple is naos, which means the holy of holies. So we are growing, we are joined together into a naos in the Lord. We are the holy of holies where the Lord dwells. And I just think that is so crazy. So with that, like, how could you not stand in awe before God? We get this beautiful gift because of what he has done through Jesus. We are now the new temple of the living God. He lives with us. We get to carry his spirit in us day in and day out. So C.S. Lewis put it this way. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you were not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts. I I've been practicing this word abominably for like two weeks. I can't, so it's on the, on the screen so you can figure out how to say it. Um, <laughs> and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers and making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. 
So we have all been built for this wonderful and intricate purpose, and this purpose is to have a deeply intimate relationship with God and allow his spirit to dwell in us to partner with what he has for the kingdom. So how can we not stand in awe of all of this? We have the beauty of being the church, being his dwelling place, knowing him personally and making him known. We are called to worship him reverently in our schools, in our workplaces, in our families, in our good times and in our bad times. What a wonderful opportunity it is to come and participate in corporate worship like we are doing now as one body in Christ, as his temple, to give him the utmost praise and glory as we stand before him in awe. And all else will flow from this when we adopt this heart posture of kneeling before him in reverence. So just a few last finishing thoughts. Francis Chan says in his book, Letters to the Church, gathering with the church should lead us to holy ground. You get to come and worship someone else with someone else. You get to pour out love to him by serving those around you and considering them more important than yourself. It's not about you. And you're glad it's not about you because this is something far greater than you. It is sacred. Yet we still often don't treat worship this way, but we can change this. We can change our heart posture to be in a heart of reverence before the Lord. So when we see the world using Jesus for marketing reverence, when we treat other believers as a benefit of their deeds, reverence. When we take God's blessings for granted, reverence. When the church begins to become consumeristic, reverence. When we don't know what else to do, reverence. So guard your steps when you come to him in worship. Draw near to listen. Be authentic, check your heart, for he is in heaven and you are on earth. Acknowledge the reality that you, you guys are all now the place where he dwells. And that is what worship in the house of the Lord is. I'll pray and then the worship team can come back up. Yeah, God, we thank you so much for just giving us a passage in Ecclesiastes to be able to yeah, allow us to check our heart posture of reverence towards you, God. So I just pray that this really sits in people's hearts today as they just know that you are in heaven and we are on earth. That that means you are the mighty God. You are so much bigger than us. You are so much greater than us. And you still want to have that deeply intimate relationship with us. So God, just prepare our hearts, prepare our way, and just allow us to know what it looks like for each and every single one of us to have that relationship with you and to kneel at your feet in that posture of reverence. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us at the Bridge Church in this way. If God has spoken to you through his word, or if you're wanting to reach out to pray, or just wanting to know more about our church, access our website. There, you can connect with us and also have access to other contents. We are a church that lives to know Jesus Christ personally and to make him known. We believe that he is the hope of the world and wants to give you hope as well. 
we believe the best news ever has come in and through him. May you know him more and make him known today. We'd love to hear from you.